Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me for today's worship service from First Baptist Church. I've titled today's sermon, Succeeding Through Life's Ups and Downs. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis, beginning with chapter 37. So go ahead and open your Bible there. Let me start by asking you a question. And if you're sitting at home or in your car, feel free to raise your hand if you would answer yes. How many of you have ever had anything good happen to you in life? Go ahead and raise your hand and wave me out to me out there in virtual land. How many of you have ever done anything that was fun? How many of you have ever fallen in love and, and, and known the joy of, of love? Well, I imagine most of us have done all of those. Let me ask some different questions. Raise your hand out there if you've ever had anything bad, anything tragic happen to you in life. Or wave at me if you've ever been really sad or really hurt. Wave at me if you've lost someone you loved to death. Uh, wave at me if you've ever had pain. I mean, you've experienced real physical pain and been really sick, maybe even to the point of death. See, the reality is if you and I live long enough, we're going to experience all of those things. We're going to experience a lot of highs and we're going to experience lows. We're going to experience good and bad. Life is filled with ups and downs. And the truth is life is not fair. It really isn't. And some people have more of one than they have of the other. It's not the same for all of us. It varies for each of us. But all of us experience ups and downs, good things and bad things in life. And and here's the kicker. Sometimes the good and the bad in life happen to us at the same time. I remember 1987 in my own life, the second half of that year, the summer up through Christmas. It was early that summer when I began talking with the pastor search committee of First Baptist Church, Rock Hill. And in November of that year, the church voted to extend to me a call to be their pastor. In December, I started as pastor here. July, Late that summer, I baptized my father, who had just accepted Christ. My sister and I had been praying for him for 20 years to give his life to Jesus, and I had the honor of baptizing him. In October of that year, we learned that Monisa was pregnant with our daughter, our second child. And in the middle of all of that, however, in August, we learned that my father had terminal cancer. And that meant several quick trips to Kentucky from Sumter, which was a seven-hour drive one way. We found out in August he had cancer, and in November he died, and we had his funeral. And his funeral actually occurred between the Sunday that I preached at First Baptist and the church voted to call me as their pastor, and I resigned in Sumter. The funeral was between that time and when I actually moved to Rock Hill. And on top of all that, of course, we were then trying to sell a house in Sumter and find a place to live here in Rock Hill. And I, I share that to say that sometimes those exciting times, like you know, a new ministry opportunity, the birth of a new child, baptizing my father, all of that happens during a, a season of pain and suffering, my father having cancer and dying just a few short months later. That's just how life works. In fact, do you know what we call that? It's called life. Life is filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, good things and bad things, and there's no way to avoid it. And you and I can either allow the ups and downs in life to define us, to destroy us, to defeat us, or we can succeed at living through the ups and downs, the highs and lows of life, not just survive, but thrive. 
keeping our faith alive and strong in Jesus Christ, we can learn to move forward through whatever comes, whether it's an up or a down, a high or a low, something good or bad. We can learn to move forward. And through all of that, become the person Jesus is calling us to be. Be the person who accomplishes for the kingdom of God everything he wants us to accomplish. So how do we do that? How do we thrive? How do we succeed? How do we avoid being defeated and destroyed by the ups and downs and the uncertainty of life? Well, there's a man in the Bible I mentioned a moment ago. His name is Joseph, who I think is a great example for us. We can learn much from him because his life was filled with some great highs and some terrible lows. And 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 uh, the way he dealt with all of it is instructive to me and to you. So I want you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 37 where his story will begin. You'll remember that Joseph is one of Jacob's 12 sons. And part of the problem came about because he was Jacob's favorite. Some of you will remember that Jacob had been the favorite of his mother of Mother Rebecca, and that created problems within the family. Well, here he is making the same mistake with his own children, and Joseph is his favorite, and because of that, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, did not like Joseph. So look with me in Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 3. The Bible says, Now Israel, which is another name for Jacob, Israel or Jacob loved Joseph. Notice this more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a multicolored tunic or, or a coat that had a lot of different colors in it. And in verse 4, we read that his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. It means that now they, they disliked Joseph so much that every time they spoke to him, they did so in harsh terms. Now, we're going to walk through the life of Joseph. What happened to him? How did he deal with it? How did he respond? And lift out some lessons for us so we can learn how to respond to the ups and downs of life and be victorious rather than be defeated. Well, Joseph is a teenager. He's 17 years old. We've already seen that his brothers hated him and were cruel to him because they knew their father loved him most. He was the father's favorite. And so when Joseph is 17, he has some dreams and he shares those dreams, not only with his father, but with his brother. And one of those dreams, he's out in the field with his brothers and they're harvesting the grain and there are these sheaves of grain in the field and each son, each boy has one. And the 11 brothers, their sheaves all bow to Joseph and his sheep. The second dream, Joseph sees the sun and the moon, the sun being his father, the moon being his mother, and 11 stars, his 11 brothers, all bowing to him. And so Joseph, as this young teenager, tells his brothers what he's dreamed, and it's obvious to them that he's saying they are going to be subservient to him. They are going to bow to him. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis that they hated him even more. I know you're not surprised at that, are you? They already disliked him because he was the father's favorite. And now he's saying, you're going to bow to me, be subservient to me. And they hated him even more. And so the day came 
when Joseph's brothers betrayed him in a very horrific way. They were out in the fields one day watching their father's sheep, their, the flock that belonged to their father, and, and Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers and the flock. Now the thing is, it was about a two-day's journey by walking to where the brothers were keeping the sheep, keeping the flock. And when he got there, they threw him. They were so angry with him, and they saw they saw an opportunity to, to, to just get vengeance on him. They threw their brother in a pit in an empty well. And while they were eating, they saw a band of Ishmaelites, some traders that were on their way to Egypt, passing by, and they sold their brother Joseph to those Ishmaelites, and Joseph was taken to Egypt as a slave. Now, what are they going to do? What are they going to tell their father? So they take his coat, that multicolored coat that his dad had made for him, and they dip it in blood of a slaughtered animal. And these brothers take this bloody coat back to Jacob, their father, and tell him they found this while they were walking home. And it looked like Joseph had been attacked by some wild animal and devoured. And all that was left was this bloody coat. And so his father is devastated. Joseph ends up in Egypt. Those Ishmaelites, those traitors, they take him to Egypt, and we find in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verse 1, look at it. Chapter 39, verse 1, the Bible says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, a soldier, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him bought him from the Ishmaelites. So here's Potiphar, one of the soldiers, an officer, who actually was an officer among the bodyguard that guarded the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he buys Joseph as his slave. And Joseph, Joseph is so, so well behaved and, and so blessed by God that he finds favor in the eyes of Potiphar, his new owner. And in chapter 39, Potiphar makes Joseph the main steward of his house, which means he put him in charge. He was a slave. But he put him in charge of all the other servants. He put him in charge of his house and all the affairs associated with his house. He put him in charge of all the possessions that were part of his home. Now, he's still a slave, but his condition is a little better than the other slaves. And then the problem comes with Potiphar's wife. See, the Bible tells us in Genesis that Joseph was a handsome young man. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a teenager, 17, 18 years old by now, and he's very handsome. And Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. And one day, she begins making sexual advances toward him. He resists. He doesn't, he doesn't give in to her, her advances. He resists. And, and the day came when Joseph went into the house and there was no one else there. And then Potiphar's wife approached him and she propositioned him again. And yet he turned her down once more and he ran out of the house. But as he was running to the house, she grabbed part of his clothing and held on to it and he left it behind. When her husband Potiphar came home later that day, she showed him the piece of clothing and said that Joseph had attacked her. And Potiphar became very, very angry and had Joseph thrown in prison. So now Joseph is both a slave and he's in prison. He's, he's a, he, he doesn't have freedom as a slave. And now he's also lost his freedom because he's in jail. He's in prison. And we pick up the story of Joseph in prison in chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 20. Look at what the Bible says. And so Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king, where the Pharaoh's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, 
and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Again, God blessed Joseph, and he he was such a well-behaved and intelligent young man, uh, an honest and trustworthy young man, and so the chief jailer elevated him. He was still in jail. He was still a prisoner. He was still a slave. But he sort of, if you will, put him in charge of all the other prisoners. He, he, he had some freedom to move about the prison, to take food to the other inmates. And so he was still in prison, still a slave, but he had some advantages and some responsibilities. And it wasn't long after that, that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, became very angry with two men who served him personally. One was his cupbearer, the one who would bring him wine and other things to drink and typically would taste it to make sure no one was trying to poison the king. And the chief baker, the the one who did most of the baking, the cooking in the palace, if you will. And Pharaoh became angry with both of them and had them placed in prison. But notice Joseph was in the prison where the king or the Pharaoh's prisoners were. And that's exactly where these two men ended up that had been servants of the Pharaoh. They had dreams. Each of them did. And they told their dreams to Joseph. The cupbearer had a dream in which he saw a vine that had three branches on it, filled with ripe grapes. And in the dream, the cupbearer was holding Pharaoh's personal cup, and he squeezed, the cupbearer squeezed those grapes, and the juice ran into those cups, and then he handed it to the Pharaoh to drink. He asked Joseph, what does it mean? And Joseph told him only God could tell him the interpretation, and God did. And Joseph said, here's what God's revealed, that in three days you're going to be released from freedom and restored to your previous job serving the Pharaoh as his cupbearer. And then the baker who had a dream said, well, let me tell you mine and you can interpret it. And and he did. And and Joseph's interpretation that he had gotten from God was that in three days, the cupbearer, instead of being returned to serving the Pharaoh, would actually be executed. That's exactly what happened. And Joseph said to the cupbearer when he was being released, remember me, keep me in mind and tell the Pharaoh about me. But the cupbearer did not do that. He forgot about Joseph. And two years, two years passed as Joseph was still in prison, a slave and in prison, and it wasn't getting much lower than it was at this moment in Joseph's life. But after two years, God intervened. And Pharaoh had two dreams, shared them with his with his, uh, his staff, with his advisors, and none of them could interpret the dreams. And finally, the cupbearer remembered that in prison was young Joseph who had accurately interpreted his dream and that of the baker, and he told the Pharaoh about it. So the Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and Joseph came, and then the Pharaoh related his dreams to to, uh, Joseph. And the first dream, he saw by the Nile River seven very beautiful fat cows. And then suddenly seven skinny, ugly cows came forward and ate the fat cows. But after eating the fat cows, the skinny cows were still skinny. And then he told them the second dream. There was a stalk. Think of it in America today if you're a country boy about a stalk of corn. It was a stalk of grain. And on that stalk of grain were seven full ears of grain. And then below it appeared seven withered thin, dried-out ears of grain that went up and ate the fat grain, the healthy grain, the full ones, if you will. 
And Pharaoh said, what does it mean? And Joseph made it very clear that only God could interpret the dream. And so God gave Joseph the answer, the interpretation. And he said to the Pharaoh, here's what God has revealed to you. God has revealed that in Egypt you're going to have seven years of great harvest, a lot of food. And then that will be followed by seven years of very severe famine. And what you need to do is put someone in charge during the seven years of good harvest, gathering food and storing it and saving it for the seven years of famine that are going to come. You need to prepare during the good years for the bad years. And the long and short of it is the Pharaoh liked that idea, and he actually put Joseph in charge of gathering the food and then later distributing the food during the famine. And he elevated Joseph, who had been a prisoner, a slave, to number two in all of Egypt, answering only to the Pharaoh himself, Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt. Now, his story goes on. He gets married. He has two baby boys. He gives them names. And then after the seven years of good harvest and gathering the food, the seven years of famine begin. And it's not just in Egypt, it's in other parts of the world. And people from other parts of that Middle Eastern area begin coming to Egypt for food. Up in Canaan were Jacob, Joseph's dad. Up in Canaan were his 11 brothers and extended family were all living. They were enduring the severe famine as well. And eventually Jacob sends his boys, 10 of them, he keeps Benjamin home and he sends them to Egypt to buy food. And the long and short of the story is that when they arrive to buy food, Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him because, you see, it's been, it's, it's, it's been a number of years. Joseph was 17 when his brothers betrayed him. He's now approaching 40 years old. And they haven't seen him in, the, in more than 20 years. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. He can speak Egyptian, but he can also speak Hebrew, so he understands everything they are saying. And he puts his brothers through a series of tests designed to discern, are they, are they honest? Are they trustworthy? Have they changed? Are they better than they used to be? And ultimately, through those series of tests, he discovers that they have changed, and they are now trustworthy. They're different men than they were when he was 17 years old, and they betrayed him. And he reveals himself to them. And in time, Jacob and all the family leave Canaan, move to Egypt. And the years to come, Joseph takes care of his family and eventually dies in Egypt. Now, that's a, a lengthy story. That's a lifelong story. And Joseph's life was filled with some real ups and some real downs, some high moments and some low moments. And yet through all of it, he, he was consistent. Through all of it, he had faith. Through all of it, he did what was good and what was right. I, I consider in many ways Joseph to be the most godly man in the book of Genesis. And there is so much about him to admire. And so I want us to see what can we learn? What can we learn from this man named Joseph through all of his ups and downs in life that can help us live through the ups and downs of our lives and not just exist, but thrive. 
Become all that Jesus has called us to be. Do what he's asking us to do for the kingdom, how we can live well through all of life's ups and downs. So here's some lessons real quickly if you want to jot these down, and I encourage you to do that. Here's the first one that we get from the life of Joseph. Number one, have integrity. Whether things are going well or things are going badly, be a man, be a woman, be a person who has integrity. You remember back in Genesis chapter 39 when Potiphar's wife was making all of these sexual advances at Joseph and he could have given in like many people do, unfortunately. He could have done that, but he didn't. But I want you to notice what Joseph said. It gives us a sense of his heart and his character and his integrity. In chapter 39 at verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, but he, Joseph, refused refused the advances of Potiphar's wife, and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. In other words, he fully trusts me, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then, notice this, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph understood the importance of having integrity in his relationships with other people and his relationship with God. You see, here's the thing. Compromise always catches up with us. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Compromise, not having integrity in our relationships and actions toward other people and our relationship and actions toward God, sinning, doing what is wrong, not having integrity, always catches up with us in some way at some point in life. So be a man or woman of integrity through all the ups and the downs. Here's the second lesson. Keep doing your best. Keep doing your best in all the circumstances of your life. Yes, the ups and the downs. Do your best when things are going well and do your best when things are not going well. In Genesis chapter uh, 39, we read about Joseph in verse 2. This is when he was first purchased by Potiphar. And it says in verse 2 that the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, talking about Potiphar. And then in verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. And so it's what we said a moment ago that Joseph was the, the kind of man that when Potiphar watched him, here he is, a young teenager who's been betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, and yet he's behaving in such a way that Potiphar admires him. Potiphar sees good qualities in him. And then when he was placed in the jail after the experience with Potiphar's wife, he was thrown into prison. The same thing. He conducted himself in such a way that he caught the attention, that he gained the favor of the chief jailer. And so here he is in two low moments. And what's he doing? His absolute best. And then later after Pharaoh elevated him to the number two spot and put him in charge of the grain, what did he do? His absolute best did a great job so that during the seven years of famine, there was plenty of food, not only for the Egyptian people, but for those who came from other nations as well. He did his best when things were looking up and he did his best when things were down in his life. He never slacked off. He never allowed bitterness or disappointment 
to become an excuse for laziness and bad performance. He never allowed it to cause him to give up. He did his best through all the circumstances, the highs and the lows. And if you want to be everything God wants you to be through the ups and downs of life, you need to do your best as well. Number three, here's the third lesson. Depend on God no matter what's happening. Depend on God no matter the challenge. Depend on God no matter the opportunity. And chapter 41, verse 16, when Joseph is brought into the Pharaoh, we read this. He says, Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He's saying, Pharaoh, I don't have the answer to your dreams. God does. And the only reason I'm able to do anything to help you is because of God. God is the one who gives me the interpretations. He told the same thing to the cupbearer and to the chief baker that the answer to dreams, the interpretation of dreams comes from God. He recognized where all of his ability, for where all of his resources, where all of his opportunities, where all of his talent came from, it was from God. He trusted God and he never walked away from that. He continued to depend on God and never got to the place that he thought he was more than he really was. Brothers and sisters, when you're going through the up times and when you're going through the down times, don't turn your back on God. Don't become puffed up and proud and arrogant. Don't become so bitter and disappointed and angry. Don't turn your back on God. Keep trusting him. Keep depending on God. That's one of the lessons we learned from Joseph. Here's the fourth lesson. Don't allow our past hurts to rob us of today's blessings. Don't allow our past hurts to rob us of today's blessings. Think about all the people who let Joseph down. His brothers, Potiphar, the cupbearer once he was released from prison, waiting two years before saying anything to Pharaoh. He easily could have become very bitter. He could have spent days and months and even years. He could have spent his life living in what I call the blame game. Blaming people, blaming others, blaming circumstances. He could have lived there, but he didn't. He could have held on to grudges against those who had let him down, those who had wronged him, and in so doing be blinded by all of those grudges, by all of that bitterness. But he did not do that. I want you to notice in chapter 41 of Genesis, after Joseph, he's been elevated to number two in Egypt, and he's married, and he begins having his family. And in chapter 41, uh, verse uh, verse uh, 52, if you'll look at it, the Bible says that he named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He knew that God was the one who had blessed him. And then in verses 50 and 51, he said uh, he, he named his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Now think about that. They had these two boys. And the first one he named Manasseh saying that God has blessed me so much that, that I'm not living in the past. It, it's, my blessings are so great that I'm not holding on to the pain of the past. I've forgotten all that's happened. He remembered it, yes, but he didn't live there. He, he depended on God and he did, he did not allow the hurts and the wounds and the betrayals of the past to rob him of the blessings that were right in front of him today. And then in naming his second boy, uh, Ephraim and saying, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He was thankful. And this is another lesson. He was thankful for the blessings of God. 
You see, he recognized his blessings. And when you, when you hold on to the past, you fail to see what is right in front of you. But because he did not do that and was able to see what was right in front of him, he was able to be thankful. He had a thankful heart and a thankful spirit. And that's the fifth lesson from Joseph is, is not only don't allow the hurts of the past to rob you of today's blessings, but be thankful for those blessings. Joseph knew he had been blessed and he knew that those blessings came from God. He recognized his blessings, and secondly, he recognized the blessor, that it was God who had blessed him. Here's two more lessons. Number six, handle your emotions instead of allowing your emotions to handle you. Handle your emotions instead of allowing your emotions to handle you. We read later in Genesis 45 about Joseph's reunion with his brothers. The same brothers that more than two decades before had betrayed him and uh, lied to their dad, told their dad that he was dead and sold him as a slave and he ended up in Egypt because of all that, reunited with those same brothers. And I want you to notice the reunion in chapter 45, verses 1 and 2. Joseph could not control himself. Before all those who stood by, he's in the room with his brothers and with other servants and Egyptians and he, and, and he can't control himself. And it says he cried. And, and then he told everyone uh, to, to leave, go out from me. And so there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brother. So he's in the room now, and it's just him and his 11 brothers. Verse 2, very powerful, look at it. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. The Egyptians who were in other rooms heard him weeping loudly. Joseph was filled with all kinds of emotions. And if we had time, we could look at other verses in his story that, that describe him weeping and, and the emotions that he felt. We, we learned that when they threw him in that pit and then they were getting ready to sell him to the Ishmaelites, that he pleaded with his brothers not to do it. Joseph was a man of emotions, but he was a man who handled his emotions instead of allowing his emotions to handle him. You see, his emotions did not make him, did not shape him, did not define his character. His character shaped how he dealt with his emotions. His character defined how he handled the things that happened to him in life. And so, brothers and sisters, be so in love with Jesus Christ, so in tune with him. Have his word in your heart and have your life and mind shaped by his word, your character shaped by him and his Holy Spirit to the point that, yes, you will have emotions and, yes, you will feel, but allow the character that Jesus has shaped in you to handle your emotions. Don't allow your emotions to shape and handle your character. And then here's the final lesson, number seven. Look for God's hand at work in your life because if you do, you'll see it. It's always there. In chapters 45 and 50, when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he makes it very clear to them that he understands that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. He told them that God had brought him to Egypt to save them, brought him to Egypt to save other people so that he could be in a position to save up all of that food and then distribute it. He said, you meant it for evil, but God brought good out out of it. He could look at his life and see the hand of God. One of the mistakes we often make 
is trying to control life so much that there are never any downtimes. And, and I understand we don't want to make bad decisions and bring problems to ourselves. But here's the, here's the problem. It is impossible. It is impossible for you and me to control life so strongly that we never have any downtimes. They're going to come. Yes, we don't want to bring them on ourselves, but they're going to come nonetheless to all of us. Don't allow the downtimes to determine who you are. Don't, 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 don't allow the emotions you feel in the hard moments to shape your response and your character. Be a Joseph. And think about the lessons we've learned from Joseph today. Which one of them do you need to focus on this coming week? Choose one of these lessons. And this week, focus on it in your life. And maybe rewind and watch this message again and write all those lessons down if you didn't. And pray and say, God, show me the one you want me to work on this week so I can become, not just like Joseph, so I can become the me you are calling me to be. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.